and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. No, 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 no. We take part ourselves. That's right. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy. We have a very special guest today. Yeah, we're excited about this. So you may remember a few months ago now, we got our own diplomas as naturopaths. Mm -hmm. So we are now certified on some level, <laughs> but we have someone far more qualified to tell us about the world of naturopathy and the science around it, and that is Britt Hermes. Welcome, Britt. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you for making time for us. You have an amazing story, and I, I don't want to even summarize it off the bat because, I don't know, I want to have you tell it. So what initially drew you to naturopathy? Oh, wow. Well, it goes all the way back to my teenage years when, to try to make a, a, a long story a little <laughs> bit shorter, I had a bad experience with a doctor who diagnosed me with psoriasis. Hmm. I was a teenager. I was living in the Los Angeles area. That's where Very self-conscious about my looks, of course. And I was looking for a sure treatment plan to make me feel comfortable showing my skin again. I essentially had these large plaques of psoriasis, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but it's sort of like an auto-inflammatory skin condition where you develop these red sort of raised right. silvery scaled mm -hmm. lesions. And it's it can be disfiguring. It's unsightly. And I was pretty embarrassed about it. And I was fairly familiar with the disease because my mom has it. And so I had seen her struggle with it for years and take pretty serious medications. Mm -hmm. And essentially, when I started to develop the symptoms, my mom was like, oh, yeah, we know what this is. Of course, go to my dermatologist, you know, he'll give you some medicine and, you know, carry on with life. And so that's what I did. I went and saw this old sort of grouchy dermatologist. <laughs> and he recommended steroids, which was expected because I knew that that was the medicine that my mom took. Mm. But then I wanted to engage with him further about what psoriasis is. First of all, like I didn't have any understanding of what it was. I just knew that I had it now and I assumed it was genetic because my mom, obviously. But I also wanted to know like, you know, are there skin products that are contributing? Is my diet contributing? You know, can I have control over this in some way? Or, you know, is it like, okay, from 16 for the rest of my life, am I going to have to use these medications? Right. And he essentially was like, sorry, kid, you know, bad luck. This is the way it is. And when he saw that I started to get upset and to actually cry, he was just like, get over it. It's not that big of a deal. You oh, know, it's no. not life threatening. Um, you're sort of overreacting. And that sort of set me on the course of of hating doctors, really, mm. and just feeling distrustful of medicine and feeling like my feelings were not going to be validated in a medical setting. So when the doctor said, oh, sorry, kid, was he saying you're going to have to take this medicine forever? Yeah, that was my understanding. Got it. Okay. For sure. And And I was like... I don't want to believe you. I, I don't, I don't accept, you know, or rather like challenge accepted. Like I want to go out and prove, prove you wrong and figure out some other way. And that led me down slowly, but surely this path of just looking for anything alternative to medicine. At first I didn't really like 
conceptualize it this way or like or even really understand that that's what I was doing. It was more like, you know, learning about you know, healthy foods and incorporating more healthy foods into my diet and then coming up with the fad which was to give up soda. And I was like, okay, so I won't drink any Coca-Cola now because that seems to be the healthy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I started taking supplements that I saw were being advertised. I went and looked up specific foods and supplements that might help with these inflammatory skin conditions and ate everything and took everything that was on the list. Eventually went to college Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, did the, any of those things help? Uh, one of our refrains on our show is that I have eczema on the bottom of my foot, and I've been trying various things over the years, including steroid creams now, which have helped. But did any of these things that you were trying, did they help the psoriasis get better? Well, the psoriasis got better, but I was doing all of these things in conjunction with using steroids. Uh, okay. So hard so, to separate those. So my, in my mind, I was like, it's all of these other things mm. that is helping the psoriasis get better and not the magical medicine of steroids. And I think that's a pretty common experience where like when people are doing something, you know, medicinal, like real medicinal plus something else, they attribute, you know, more power to that something. You else. can give credit wherever you want. Well, yeah, sure. So then you decided sure, sure, sure. to help others by getting into naturopathy. It sounds like it was kind of a selfless act or at least something that you thought you could help others by getting certification. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would call it selfless, but I <laughs> I would call it delusional. Maybe. <laughs> you know, so I, I started to develop this idea that medicine was very incomplete mm. and not patient centered and that going to medical school would not provide me with the tools that I needed to be a good clinician. Mm. What in fact I needed was a more, you know, air quote, holistic education that looked at the lifestyle of the patient. And my experiences with doctors thus far had been lifestyle doesn't matter. It doesn't Mm. actually matter what you do at all. It doesn't matter what you eat. You know, you get diseases or you don't, and then you take this medication and hopefully it works for you. And so that approach didn't work for me. Yeah, sure. Like emotionally, it didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like naturopathy was the medicine of the future. So where did you go for your schooling? And if you don't mind saying, how much did that cost? And what was it like? So I, I graduated from San Diego State with a bachelor's. And then I went to naturopathic school at Bastyr University outside of Seattle, Washington. And it cost as much as going to Harvard Medical School. Whoa. So okay, a wow. Lot. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Yeah, I borrowed hundreds of thousands of dollars to go. Oh, Britt. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I know. And so this is the part of the story where I just like take that piece of information and we put it in a box and then we don't like think about it. Okay. Put it there. Keep it there. Uh, So is naturopathy their main thing at? Bastyr. Bastyr. Yeah. Is that their kind of? Yeah. It's their their bread and butter. Okay. For sure. So it started, I believe it started out as only a naturopathic school and it's developed new curricula in the meantime. So now they offer programs in acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. I think there's like a clinical nutrition degree there. There's a whole host of other things at various collegiate levels. So now from undergraduate all the way to the so-called graduate level. 
And I say so-called because I don't really believe that like getting a doctorate in naturopathy is really graduate school. What, was there anything while you were there that uh, stood out to you as a red flag, made you worry a little bit? Like, wait a second, what kind of education is this? Kind of. You know, I went in really naive and really ready to take in everything in a very uncritical willingness to learn, open-minded sort of way. I did not know much about alternative medicine before I started school at Bestier. So I really believe that, you know, alternative medicine or naturopathic medicine centered on counseling, nutritional counseling, sort of motivational counseling with the patient and getting to know the patient in this specific way to help that patient make important and difficult to implement changes in their life. I believed supplements were part of this, but sort of like on a as-needed basis. I did not understand or know anything about acupuncture, homeopathy, how naturopathy is basically based on this like extraneous supplementation business. And it's really sort of a very close financial relationship between the supplement industry and, and naturopathic practitioners. Iridology, I had never heard of, for example. So there was a lot of these esoteric practices that I knew absolutely nothing about and was exposed to and learned of, you know, my first years there. And so in that, you know, like homeopathy seemed bizarre, for example, but I didn't know anything else. I had zero experience with it outside of this environment where people were like, yeah, go homeopathy. Homeopathy is amazing. Quantum blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I don't know anything about quantum physics or quantum molecular add big word here. Water, you know, so it they was don't like, know either. well, they don't know either because I've never even like heard <laughs> right. of this. Like, yeah, you know, I had never heard these terms before and like they were all strung together. And so it sounded really profound and like, oh, this is really special. So on the one hand, it was, well, this is strange. Uh, homeopathy is this thing where there's actually no molecules left in the product and you just are given the sugar <laughs> pill and the energetic whatever inertia of the substance makes you heal like that's odd but then i'm surrounded <laughs> by hundreds of people yeah who are like homeopathy is amazing oh my gosh you should experiment with this and so you sort of you, like you get into the psyche of the nonsense you know yeah. and like you slowly start to become well i really feel like i was slowly brainwashed by the whole process because wow. the blinders just got more and more narrow and like it became virtually impossible for me to take in and receive any outside critical information. And I'm just curious, you mentioned iridology. That's another one that just seems so, I mean, how could it even work? What were some of the, the wilder things that you learned there at Bestier? And did any of them kind of strike you as outlandish? Mm, so I learned a bunch of wild things. Uh, I don't know how many great examples I can pull off the top of my head. But I mean, I took a year of homeopathy courses. And so I was exposed to all sorts of like homeopathic miracle stories, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, patients being treated for venomous spider bites, for example, with, with homeopathy. We learned a lot of, a lot of like intravenous 
nutrient supplementation. And so like we were basically told that you could inject (laughs) vitamins into patients and have these like amazing therapeutic benefits. When they aren't Uh, deficient in that vitamin? Just like in general, like anybody can benefit from intravenous vitamin C according to a naturopath, for example. Yikes. And did they ever have any arguments amongst themselves where some professors maybe would poo-poo some of the ideas of others? Sure. Yeah, there was one. There was one professor that I've met in my entire career who expressed some critical and skeptical ideas about naturopathic practices, in particular, homeopathy. Um, And I I think that was important, but it was such a lone voice, Mm -hmm. you know. And at the end of the day, even though this professor was critical of many of these practices, this professor also chose to work and make a living by teaching at Bastyr. So it was a little bit you, you took it, yeah, I mean, you kind of took it with a grain of salt of like, you know, sure. maybe he's being too skeptical or, you know, maybe he chooses not to believe or use this one therapy, but, you know, 99% of the other naturopaths do. Right, mm-hmm. right. And if he really felt that way, maybe he wouldn't be here. Yeah. And truthfully, I don't know that I thought about it that hard. Uh-huh. It was like you were kind of exposed to this criticism in class or on occasion perhaps in passing, but then it was so easy to brush off and forget about because like I said, there was so much other propaganda coming from everywhere else that it was just this little tiny piece of the overall picture. Yeah. So so you then graduated with essentially what is like the best qualification you can have as a naturopath. Uh, can you talk a bit about how you could advertise your credentials and then your practice that you set up after leaving school? The specifics of how a naturopath who graduates from an accredited naturopathic school, which is uh, where I graduated from, there's a handful of them in the country, depends on the state. So in Washington, where I worked originally, and Arizona, where I worked later, I could call myself a doctor. I could call myself a physician. Mm. I could advertise myself as a primary care. I know that's really, it's really misleading for the public. Super misleading. So I could say I am a family medicine primary care physician. Oh, wow. Who practices naturopathic medicine. So people would come to me fully believing that I that I was a doc, like a real full fledged doctor. Did they teach you basic things like here's how to use a stethoscope? Here's how to check someone's reflexes? Yeah, 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 for sure. So we had a year of of this um, sort of physical exam lesson of how to do these things, listening to heart sounds. We had fake patients like they do in real medical school where you come and or you get to go and practice on fake patients and do a number of exams. So a lot of that is set up to emulate real medical school. And if you're looking at the course curricula and you're doing a side-by-side comparison on paper, it really very much looks like these two medical institutions parallel each other. But there's a couple of important differences. So in the naturopathic curricula, even when you're taking courses titled cardiology or, you know, physical clinical diagnosis, it's important for the public to know that these courses are being taught by naturopaths. So they're not being taught by people with PhDs in the subject or medical doctors. And so all of the information that is being provided to the students has a naturopathic slant. Mm -hmm. So for example, if we learn about how to treat high blood pressure 
or hypertension. We may perhaps learn about the most common medication used to treat this disease, which okay. are called statins. But mm-hmm. then we're also going to learn a whole host of other naturopathic e stuff from the homeopathic remedy for patients with high blood pressure to all sorts of diet information that may or may not be supported by evidence. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Um, Tons and tons of supplements. The clinician or the naturopath will say that they're teaching us whether these supplements and herbs and, and foods have interactions with the drugs. But the truth is, is that these herbs and supplements and these types of interactions are very understudied. So it's actually not accurate to be able to say that we are providing students with a sort of well-rounded education because the information just simply doesn't exist. Wow. So it's very misleading. Absolutely. Were there any conditions that your patients would have that would cause you to refer them to an quote-unquote allopatric doctor? Uh, How did you refer to people in the regular medical profession? So while we were going through our training at Bastyr, the naturopathic clinic did not have any medical facilities or any capabilities to treat any urgent care or emergency patients. So if a patient showed up to the clinic thinking they were having a serious asthma attack, had a serious bee sting, perhaps were having a heart attack, all of these types of patients, a broken bone, all of these types of patients, which are really the bread and butter of primary care, family medicine, all had to be referred out because it was impossible for the the students and the naturopaths at the Bastyr clinic to treat these things. Well, I'm glad they knew that much. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, you know, (laughs) liability, (laughs) now practice insurance. I mean, you're, you're sort of, you're required. Yeah. It's really misleading because again, like, especially in a state like Washington, where naturopaths are allowed to advertise themselves as primary care practitioners, these are like super mainstay primary care conditions. And it's like, I never saw a patient, for example, I never had to go through the triage process of a patient who I thought might be having a heart attack, which is like crazy when you think about it. Yeah. To then go out and practice medicine and be like, oh yeah, I can treat baby to grandma. And then, you know, when I was in practice outside of my training, you know, afterwards in Seattle, I worked at a, at a family practice of made up of naturopaths and I saw a lot of kids. So there were kids that came in with breathing problems, different respiratory conditions, asthma like symptoms. I saw newborn babies who were more jaundiced, more yellow than I was comfortable treating and really felt like was beyond my, my depth. And those were all referred out. And in in Arizona, I saw an older patient population, and there were numerous patients that I thought had cancer, for example, that needed to be referred out um, to oncologists. But that is not typical. Like my go-to of referring patients out, like patients cannot go to a naturopath and assume, which unfortunately many do, but they should not assume that the naturopath will know when it's appropriate to send them out for real medical care and when naturopath is actually within their field of competence because their field of competence is like, you know, the size of a quarter. It's teeny. (laughs) And how many years were you in practice? I practiced for about three and a half years. Okay. Okay. And I I assume people have kind of figured out now, obviously you don't agree with former Brit. So you went through this amazing transition that not many people have. Can you talk a bit about that? What, What got you started in questioning where you were at and what you were doing? I was in practice in Arizona working at a naturopathic clinic. My boss 
who still owns and runs the clinic there, treats primarily cancer patients. He still does. And while I was there, he was giving patients this medicine that was described as a natural like chemotherapy agent. And this medicine was being brought into the practice. It was coming in overseas. And then it was being injected intravenously into patients. Oh my God. These patients all had cancer. They all had different states of cancer. So anything from stage one to terminal illness, some of these patients had been, oh, the word's escaping me, but like, like excused from, from oncology care, you know, like stage four, they were past help. Exactly. Yeah. Said like, there's nothing else that do for you. The treatment will cause more harm or ruin your quality of life. So, you know, I recommend hospice whatnot. And some of these patients came to the clinic for additional alternative cancer care. What was this therapy? Um, what, what's it called? So this therapy is called Ukraine, like the country. Oh. And basically what happened was the medicine just didn't show up one day. And this was really concerning because the patients were paying for the medication in advance. Mm-hmm. And they were paying for it in cash. The clinic oh, wouldn't no. accept any credit card for it. Oh, yeah, so it's like it starting to so sound sketchier and sketchier. Right? Yeah. I said to him one day, like, hey, you know, the patients are concerned that this med- that Ukraine hasn't shown up yet because they're on this regimen of, of the Ukraine. And, and they're dying. You know, they fully believe that they had – exactly. And, like, you know, it was sold to them as, like, you have to do so many treatments in a certain amount of time. Otherwise, the therapy won't work. And it costs thousands of dollars. So it's like, wow. you know, it's this whole thing. And my boss was like, well, you know, maybe it was confiscated. You know, maybe the FDA confiscated the package in the mail. And I thought that was super strange and couldn't quite figure out, like, why the FDA would be interested in intercepting, you know, packages that were being sent to our clinic if that was indeed what happened. Mm -hmm. Essentially, I went home and started to Google the medication, Uh. um, what it meant for the FDA to be confiscating packages of medicine coming into the country, what it meant to be importing and administering non-FDA approved substances for the treatment of anything, only to find out this is a big, big deal and it is illegal and, you know, could be considered a federal crime. Wow. Meaning that dispensing that faulty medicine, that's what could be a crime? Right. So importing and administering a non-FDA approved substance. Mm could be a crime. Right. As far as I understand it, the way that the the US government and the FDA look at it is that, you know, it hasn't gone through their vetting process and the, the medication could be very dangerous. Right. And so like going around the government regulations to bring something in on your own discretion is putting patients in harm's way. And was there a steep markup on the price of Ukraine for the patients? I don't know what the the markup was, but patients were paying around $10,000 for a treatment round, as far as I recall. Because one of the traditional arguments against actual medicine is that, oh, well, you know, they just want your money. It's a business. Well, yes, but so is naturopathy. They want your money, too. Oh, my gosh. We made naturopaths, we, the collective naturopathic we, we (laughs) made so much money off of supplements and these uh, incestuous relationships, supplement companies, and crazy markups, crazy mark, 100% markups. So any patient that's buying a supplement out of a naturopath's office are paying twice the wholesale price, at least. Hey, Carrie. Oh, hey, Ross. You know, I hate to interrupt this interview with Britt Hermes because talking to Britt is fantastic. Yeah. 
But what an intelligent woman. We'll get back to Brit. I think it's important, though, that we take a moment to talk about our teeth. Okay. Yeah. No, I feel you. As she was talking, I was like, hold up. So, yeah, Brit's there in Germany. You know, her time is very important. But, but my teeth hurt. So, uh, so yeah, what, what can we do to make our teeth as healthy and clean as possible? Well, that is a great question. You know, sometimes we're rushing around in the morning. Yeah. We want to get our teeth clean, but maybe you just do a crappy job because right. you're just doing the perfunctory up, down, left, right. I'm done. Ugh, takes so much time. How do I simplify my morning? Exactly. You, Ross, can actually simplify your morning and your evening. And ease back into your post-summer routine with a simpler electric toothbrush from Quip. Funny enough, I have a Quip toothbrush. Oh. And it's fantastic. Oh, well, then there's no way for me to simplify your morning routine. It's already perfect. Well, at least I can know in confidence as I use the sonic vibrations that cover the basics and just take two minutes that I am optimizing my performance on tooth care. Exactly. You just use your Quip twice a day. It covers Every part of your mouth in those two minutes, you know, you're going to make sure you hit each quadrant. (laughs) And it has a multi-use cover that doubles as a mirror mount. That's really convenient. Also, brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. That's really convenient. And the new kid's brush is the same as the original version, just sized down for smaller mouths. And that's really convenient. So, what are you waiting for? Quip is perfect for helping you get back into a routine. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash oh no, right now you can get your first refill pack for free, and that's convenient. <laughs> that's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash oh no. My teeth are really my first love. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what would be your second love? Uh, the climate. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then to protect that. Okay. So for a second, third, third love. What would be your third? My third love? love is probably bras. Okay. Just in general. And Ella's maybe fourth. Oh, yeah. I to be real. Ella's like zero. She's before oh, okay. the whole All list. Right. Gotcha. But okay, bras. Interesting that you would say that. That that would be your third love. Oh yeah. Well, see, I have a third love bra, Ross, and it's a marvelous bra. I know I talk about it a lot, but those straps, baby, they don't slip. Did you use the Fit Finder quiz? I did. Yeah, they have um, they have a Fit Finder quiz on their website. How long did it take you? Um, It was pretty quick. Uh, maybe thirty seconds. Okay. Apparently, it's supposed to take sixty, but I'm snappy. It would have taken me 10 minutes. Oh, for sure. At our normal rate of completion. Oh, (laughs) no, but I think, well, if you've never worn a bra before, it probably is going to take you a lot more time to figure everything out. But come on, most of us have. Most of us will be buying a bra off of Third Love. (laughs) Yes. And it maybe takes 60 seconds to fill out the quiz, but you have 60 days to try it out. You can put it to the test. And if you don't love it, return it and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need, which is really cool. Yeah. Third Love offers more than 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. So go to thirdlove.com slash oh no now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash oh no for 15% off today. All right. Now back to Brit. Back to Brit. So you saw that you were potentially, the clinic was breaking the law or doing something very dangerous. Where did you go from there? I went to a lawyer's office. <laughs> okay. Okay, I so, like it so far. I, I was totally, I was totally freaked out. I was super, super freaked out. I was incredibly upset. I felt like I had found myself in the middle of this massive medical scam 
Yeah, you could be I an was accessory about getting to in a trouble. crime. That's exactly right. I was super worried that patients were going to get sick or, you know, suffer extra consequences, extra side effects, because it turns out that this drug had gone through the FDA approval process and had been denied for serious side effects. So like it wasn't just a benign natural substance. There was actually real like chemotherapeutic agents in in the product. And it was a very dangerous product or is continues to be a very dangerous product that causes really serious uh, side effects potentially. So I was totally like huge emotional wreck. I just showed up at a lawyer's office Monday morning, like at 8am, like as soon as the law office opens, I didn't even call. I just walked in and like went to the secretary's (laughs) desk and I had a lawyer's name in mind that I had looked up and was supposed to be really good with malpractice and like in tears, I'm like, I would like to talk to lawyer so-and-so please. (laughs) Wow. Oh my goodness. Just a total mess. And he was so nice. He came out. He's super seasoned, super prestigious lawyer. And he really patiently and kindly listened to my story with all of the minutia and extra detail because I, I'm just reeling. And he was super dry and super frank. And he was like, here's what you need to do. You need to quit. <laughs> I'm going to help you do that. Wow. We need to report this crime to the attorney general's office. Right. I will help you do that. We need to contact the state licensing board or regulation board for naturopaths. I will help you do that. And, you know, now that you know, you have a duty to report. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's no, there's no gray area here. Yeah. You didn't know before. We'll deal with that if we need to. But you know now. So you are ethically obligated to act. This yeah, wow. is cut and dry situation. And it was just so clarifying for me and so amazingly helpful to have someone like that help me navigate yeah. what I had initially perceived to be a very sticky situation, but actually turned out to be a very like clear cut, like, you know, this is clearly on the side of wrong. And so yeah. we're going to move forward no, great with here. that knowledge now. And so you became an outspoken critic of naturopathy. And I'm just so impressed by this because I think the typical human response is to sort of protect our self-identity and the work that we've done. And you'd put so much effort into this and time and money and devotion, uh, but you were able to kind of criticize former Brit and, and the naturopathic community itself. How's that gone for you? How's that gone for me? Well, it's had highs and lows. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there was a significant time gap between these two events. So I left that practice in the spring of 2014. Mm -hmm. And then I started speaking out in January, February of 2015. So I had some time to go through a grieving process, (laughs) um, which I definitely, definitely did. And it was during that grieving process that I became angry instead of sad. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of that anger that fueled me to to do something about it. Mm -hmm. I really felt like I was duped. You know, it's one thing to accept that you're stupid. And it's like, okay, I did this stupid thing. And there's massive financial consequences to that. And I have to deal with that. And okay, whatever. But we were duping. We, again, the collective naturopathic, we were duping 
patients and literally putting patients' lives at risk. And there's this whole like professional machine that is working to recruit students into this naturopathic medicine program under, in my opinion, these false pretenses that naturopathy is equal to or as good as medicine. So I went into this whistleblower mode really as a way to protect future students so they don't find themselves hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and in a position where they literally can't ever pay that money off because mm. they're not qualified to practice medicine. Right. And the sad reality is that most naturopathic clinics don't survive. And a lot of people who get naturopathic degrees have to change careers and do something else in order mm. to pay off that debt. That's just like a, that's a harsh and sad reality. And also to protect patients and to sort of publicly apologize to the patients that I cared for and sold bogus medicine to inadvertently, you know, unwittingly. And it's been that motivation to kind of move forward. It's been met with a lot of kindness from the science and skeptic community, you know, folks like you, just a ton of support. And that's been immensely sustaining and gratifying. Glad to hear that. However, it's also been met with a ton of vitriol from the naturopathic community. I'm super duper ostracized. I'm sure Bastyr University wasn't thrilled about you talking about their program. And I'm sure your former boss wasn't thrilled. No, no, no. So I haven't heard a thing from my former boss, which is probably a smart move on on his end. <laughs> but I I was served a cease and desist letter from Bastyr University, oh, wow. basically yeah. okay. demanding that I stop speaking about them. They threatened to sue me in both Germany, where I live now, and in the U.S., And then I was threatened and then ultimately sued by another naturopath from Arizona who became very upset, I think, over sort of my persistence speaking out about, you know, the measly education of naturopathic so-called doctors and uh, how scary the naturopathic, you know, cancer Mm. profession is. This particular naturopath, she treats cancer patients in her her Arizona office and she uses things like high doses of vitamin C. And I don't, we'll have to check her website. I don't remember if she does baking soda or hydrogen peroxide intravenously, but she does one of them. Oh, no. Now it's making me crazy. I have to look. Hold on. Okay, Okay. sure. (laughs) While you're looking that up. Oh, I hate to interrupt Britt again. (laughs) I hate it too, but here we are. We keep doing it. Why do I keep doing this? But, you know, Carrie, I I just need to talk about quality entertainment, incisive commentary. Absolutely. It's a compulsion. Yeah. At some point, this podcast has to end, Mm -hmm. and I'm sad about it, Mm -hmm. but... I need to fill my life with more audio after that. You know, I'll be on a car ride and I've got to switch to something else. What can I listen to? So you want something that's either educational or entertaining, something that improves your life. Comedy, (gasps) culture. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that. Have you heard of Max Fun? Max Fun. Oh, Maximum Fun. Yes. Yes, The podcast network. So good. They make a lot of great shows like this one. Hi, I'm Dave Hill from Show Business. And while I'm not from Canada... My grandfather Clarence Vincent Blake Sr. was, and he wouldn't shut up about it. My grandfather moved on to that great penalty box in the sky way back in the 80s. Still, all these years later, I can't help but wonder, what do we really know about Canada and its people? Which is why my friend Chris Gersbeck and I decided to make So, You're Canadian. 
brand new podcast from the Maximum Fun Network, on which I attempt to get to know our neighbors to the north, one Canadian at a time. Coming to Maximum Fun, August 27th. And I'm not sorry. So once you had realized that this cancer medicine was faulty, did you then sort of back up and go, whoa, 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 now I need to Google homeopathy, now I need to Google iridology? Was there sort of a going back through history phase <laughs> cascade. here? cascade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened was I left the practice and I then found myself feeling like I didn't know anything. Mm. You know, oh. I felt super ignorant and I didn't even know how to move forward. Everything I knew was wrong, mm -hmm. basically. So I found uh, a book called Trick or Treatment, Alternative uh, Medicine yes. Trial. Great, Great book. Yeah, written by Ezard Ernst and Simon Singh. And I went through this book chapter by chapter in a very painstaking and sort of in a slow fashion, mm -hmm. starting with the subjects that would not evoke an emotional response. So like reading the acupuncture chapter was like, okay, you know, mm -hmm. I don't really know much about acupuncture and I didn't make money doing acupuncture. So, so I can read that chapter and then <laughs> moving to the chiropractic chapter, for example, and then slowly working my way up to the domains of naturopathy that I was intimate with. Yeah. And it took me months and months and months to get through this book. It sat on my bedside table for a long time. <laughs> Wow. An intimidating and book, I'm sure. Intimidating book, but just, just painful, yeah. painful. Right. I mean, I would just read a page, put it down, and cry and cry and cry, oh. and come back to it ten days later. It was yeah. really, it was really, really hard. And then at the end of it, I emailed Edzard Ernst to be like, "Thank you for this book, and here's what's happening." And he was so kind and gracious and awesome about it. And you know, it was just sort of actually the beginning of me thinking about becoming a whistleblower and wanting to speak out because he was like, "You should write about this. This is fascinating. Wonderful. No one's ever contacted me. You, no one knows what you know. Like, imagine." Mm. Yes. You have Imagine that firsthand experience. Yeah. And so right. you, you started right. a blog. And is that kind of where you came to prominence? People started reading the blog you were writing? Exactly. So the, the way that I decided to go about it was launching a blog in early 2015 called naturopathicdiaries.com. And I just called it like confessions of a, of a naturopathic doctor. <laughs> I was not, it was super emotional. The initial posts were like diary entries and really dealt with why I got into naturopathy and the emotional harm that I suffered going through naturopathic school. Because one of the things that I came to realize sort of in hindsight was the mind F that is naturopathy mm -hmm. and sort of this like health and healthfulness obsession and needing to embody it and feeling like I had to be the perfect representation of health in order to be the best naturopath that I could be. Sure. I, I mean, you guys are in LA. I'm sure you see a lot of this. And like LA is sort of like the prime example oh, of yeah. this, of like needing to look skinny and youthful and juice and detox. <laughs> and I can't have a pimple. <laughs> and like, you know, all of these things, you know, yeah. of like needing to make time to meditate and be mindful and do yoga and also walk my dog. And then I need to surf <laughs> in the evening and then I have to do all of my turmeric drinks in the middle. And oh, my God, I can't have dairy. Now I have to detox for 10 days. Oh, you just so described like my schedule of... for the day. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of that. And it was 
super psychologically damaging for Mm. me, like really bad. And I didn't have any awareness of that until like I was coming out the other end. So Mm. there was a lot of like emotional processing and a lot of these like diary entry sort of style posts. You're, You're talking about all of these efforts to stay healthy and connected. And it's just interesting to hear you describe how unhealthy that can be when you take it to that level and it dominates your life. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, we could we could talk for five hours <laughs> on it. But basically, like, you can name an alternative therapy, anything, and I've done it. Like, Rolfing. Enemas, check. I've therapies, check. Done it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So yeah. you mentioned that Bastier had sent you a cease and desist. I know you've had some legal tussles. How have you emerged from that? Yeah, so uh, I was sued here in Germany uh, in my hometown by this Arizona naturopathic cancer quack named Colleen Huber, who uses baking soda intravenously to treat her patients. So she sued me to silence me. And we just found out a couple months ago that I won the case and I was awarded legal fees. So I've come out the other end. Wonderful. Was was that an anti-slap motion? Yeah, she decided not to appeal. So it's like officially Wonderful. officially over. She, Congratulations. Congrats. She lost. Right. And, you know, things have then been a little bit quiet on both on, on my end because I'm re-educating myself. I'm getting a PhD. I had a baby about a year ago. So my, my, my life is moving on and, I'm, you know, still trying to figure out the time management of family, baby, PhD, blogging, <laughs> et cetera. Being on podcasts. <laughs> what Being is your... What is the PhD you're studying for? So it's in the field of evolutionary genomics. But what I actually do is study the mammalian microbiome, the bugs on the skin. Mm -hmm. Nice. Awesome. It's a super cool full circle story, actually, because I now find myself working with dermatologists and (laughs) and patients with auto-inflammatory skin disorders, and I am analyzing their skin microbiota, which is just totally, I did not set out to do that. It just happened, and life is crazy sometimes. Okay, so then to take that story full circle, when you're working with the dermatologists, are you ever like, hey, here's what my dermatologist missed that you need to implement so people don't (laughs) fall into natural these grasp. No, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> Please don't send any young 16-year-olds off into homeopathy. Well, well and... what do you think, you know, actual doctors can learn from your story? What is it that they're maybe not offering that they could? Yeah, absolutely. So it's about being present with the patient and helping the patient feel heard. Mm-hmm. And so I think the newer generation of doctors, I think they're much better at mm-hmm. this. I, I think there's a, an awareness. There's better bedside manner. There's a sense that patients need more than just a clinical diagnosis. You know, they also need to be heard and, and have their emotional needs understood Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, we don't expect doctors to meet their emotional needs, but to at least have that acknowledged, mm-hmm. I think, is is really important for that physician-patient interaction. And so uh, a lot of the doctors that I work with who are clinicians don't have patient direct patient contact, but I'm also finding that a lot of them, the ones that do, are, are younger, mm-hmm. and I think there's more females in the field, too, and so there's a lot of this, like, nurturing that comes into the clinical experience, right. and 
I genuinely believe that it's getting better and there is sort of like a, a well-rounded awareness that patients can't be viewed as, you know, just clinical specimens. Yeah. Uh, so then one thing that I kept thinking as you were speaking is we often hear this argument that we shouldn't engage with these bad ideas because even engaging with them kind of lends them credence, makes it seem like they're the other side of the discussion. I wondered what your take on that is. Should we be engaging naturopathy and people who practice it so that we can speak back to their claims? Or do you think that's kind of giving them credence they don't deserve? I guess it probably the you know the best answer is probably it depends but my answer is <laughs> we should not engage with them oh. okay. i think it's really i think it's really easy to accidentally engage in this sort of false dichotomy where giving a platform to people who are promoting pseudoscientific ideas and fake medicine if they're then you know put against a real physician or someone with board, you know, certification and real training, it can provide the impression to the public that these people are on equal footing. Mm -hmm. So just like a quick example, I was asked to be on the daytime television show, The Doctors, and yeah, right. they wanted to have me on in addition to a, a currently practicing naturopath. Mm. And the whole discussion centered around like, I am happy to go on the show, the doctors, and talk about alternative medicine and naturopathy and why I think it's dangerous, but I'm not gonna do it alongside or like in a debate form mm -hmm. of a currently practicing naturopath because mm -hmm. you're just setting up this false Equivalency. dichotomy of mm -hmm. like, Exactly. Of like, here are two options and go ahead, public, you can decide when it's mm. actually like, that's not how it works. And I think it's super unfair and super dangerous to, I don't think it's fair that the, that patients should have to vet their own doctors. Mm. So I don't think that like okay. they should be like that they should look up a doctor and read the words primary care physician and then have to stop and think, wait a minute. What does that mean? Right. Are they a naturopath? Are they a medical doctor? Who licensed them? Where do they go to school? Did they do a residency? Because if you're a naturopath, you didn't do a residency or not licensed by the medical board, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And so I don't think it's fair for the public or for, you know, journalists or government bodies or really like anyone in, in the public eye or the media to sort of like continue to perpetuate these confusing terms and to make it harder on the public than it already is. Interesting. It sounds like it's more of an argument for, yes, engage with the ideas, but not necessarily the proponent of the idea. Right, right. So m maybe like the it depends answer would be like, <laughs> you know, dependent upon the venue. Yeah. yeah. You know, so like if the venue is clear, like here we have a practicing naturopath, but let's be clear what that means. Right. That means that they didn't go to medical school. That means that they didn't complete a residency. That means that XYZ, then at least you're providing the public with all of the information so that, yeah. you know, true informed consent can then exist. It was a, a pretty extreme situation that led you to question where you were at. And, and I think you're pretty yeah. extraordinary in that you did take that step to say, okay, I need to own this and do something different. What do you think people can do to 
kind of help people who are in that profession or people who very much believe in naturopathy, homeopathy to question those beliefs? What's sort of the, I don't know, the, the most productive way to have those conversations? Right. I mean, they need to happen in person. They need to happen slowly and over time. So it's not like a one and done conversation. Mm-hmm. And the person has to be met where they're at with relevant life examples. Mm-hmm. So, you know, coming to a patient who is healthy and dabbles in alternative therapies and coming to them and talking to them about like dangerous alternative cancer therapies probably isn't going to have the same impact than if you're talking to a cancer patient, for example. Mm -hmm. So you have to sort of like talk to that patient long enough and know that patient well enough in order to find whatever that in is. Mm -hmm. And then once you know that in, then you can tailor your, your examples and tailor your conversation to provide illustrative examples to help that patient or that person see the other side. And so it's very, um, it requires an investment. It's very time consuming to do that. It's not, it's not an easy fix. That's a great answer. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Britt. Is there anything we didn't cover that you wish we had asked you? Mm, You guys did it. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I can't state enough just how impressed I am with your story and how you really did own this hole you put yourself in and you climbed out of it. And now you're doing something really productive and helping people. Uh, I think it's fantastic. That's nice. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. How can people follow you? You mentioned your blog. Uh, How else can people find your work and support you? Right. So my blog, naturopathicdiaries.com, and I'm most active on Twitter at Natro Diaries, and that's where you'll find all information related to the past lawsuit and what I'm currently doing. Nice. Fantastic. Everyone go there. Thank you so much, Britt. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, again, thank you to Britt, and that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. Our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash onrack. And our Twitter is Ono Podcast. You can support us by writing positive reviews on whatever delivery service you get this podcast from, or by telling your friends, or by going to maximumfund.org slash donate. That's a really good way to help us. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of fun stuff coming up, and some of it's expensive. So come help us, please. Please. And we forgot to ask Britt for an and remember. So we're going to quote Britt from her Twitter feed, which you should check out, Naturo Diaries. And remember, naturopathic medicine is only good for naturopaths. Here's why. Money. Listen, I'm a hotshot Hollywood movie producer. You have until I finish my glass of kombucha to pitch me your idea. Go. All right. It's called Who Shot Ya, a movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. I'm Ify Whitey the new host of the show and a certified BBN. BBN? Buff black nerd. I'm Alonzo Duraldi, an elderly gay and legit film critic who wrote a book on Christmas movies. I'm Drea Clark, a loud white lady from Minnesota. Each week, we talk about a new movie in theaters and all the important issues going on in the film industry. It's like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner meets Cruising. And if it helps seal the deal, I can flex my muscles while we record each episode. I'm sorry, this is a podcast? I'm a movie producer. How did you get in here? Iffy, quick, start flexing. Bicep, lats, chest. Who shot you? Dropping every Friday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. MaximumFun.org 
comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.